Hello and welcome to the Philanthropy Impact Podcast, where we discuss all things philanthropy, impact investing and sustainability. Hello and Happy New Year. Welcome to our first Walk in My Shoes of 2023, where we are bringing to life the theme of our recent magazine, The Life Cycle of a Private Client. My name is Zofia and I'm the moderator of this series for Philanthropy Impact members. Originally created as a response to the lockdown of 2020, this series fast became a staple part of our membership offering. The recordings are available online as a resource for professional advisors, for your clients and also those wanting to create positive impact from across the wealth spectrum. Running uh, just once a month now, rather than weekly as it used to be, we will ensure the topics are relevant, informative and solution focused for your clients. Following each session, we will create content from the discussions covered, including further events and articles. As you know, this is a short 30 minute session. So if you are watching live, we encourage you to participate in the chat and also give your thoughts, but also questions. I'm here in the background if you have any issues or would like to know uh, more about what we offer through membership or training. My email will also be available at the end of the video for those watching the recording. And now all that's left for me to do is introduce our panelists for today. We're joined by some of our members and authors from our recent magazine, and it's with great pleasure that I introduce our chair for this discussion, Darren Kelland, who's the Global Head of Private Client Services at Hawksford. Joining Darren, we welcome Rebecca Cretney, who's the Investment Counselor at Nedbank Private Wealth, Mark Greer, Managing Director of Philanthropy Services at Charities Aid Foundation, and Catherine DeMade, who's partner at Burgess Salmon. Thank you all for joining today, and I will now hand over to Darren to make a start. Thanks, Darren. Thank you, uh, thank you for the introduction. So, as Sophia said, I'm the Head of Private Client uh, Services at Hawksford, and I'm delighted to be joined by my three panellists, Rebecca, Mark and Catherine, today to explore in a bit more detail the life cycle of a private client. Uh, previously, each of the panellists have contributed to uh, the Philanthropy Impact magazine with articles on the life cycle of a private client. And I think for that reason, it would be useful to, to start the ball rolling um, in relation to the role that we as professional advisors have to, pay, have to play in the support of clients in their philanthropic journeys. So, um, as you may have already read in Catherine's article, she talks about the fact that the, the first port of call for a client who needs philanthropic advice is normally a lawyer. Uh, so I'm going to turn to Catherine and say, can you expand upon that a little bit and explain how you develop the role in terms of the advice that you give to, to clients who need philanthropic advice? Sure, of course. Um, so clients that come to me for philanthropy advice, um, it's often triggered by a liquidity event. So they've sometimes sold a business, um, hopefully for lots of money, or they've inherited a lot of wealth. So they've essentially got more money than they potentially ever need for themselves and their family. So they start looking um, to what else to do with that and to potentially giving back. So that's usually where um, I get involved. And there's, there's a number of services that, that I can provide and there's a number of services that I personally won't provide, but I will certainly hold their hands and make the right introductions because I think as um, Philanthropy Impact have highlighted before, philanthropy advice is such a multidisciplinary area that no one person is going to be able to provide absolutely all of the advice. Um, 
I'll usually start with some, some families come to me and they have a really clear idea on what their values are and where they want to make a difference. And that's great. Um, if they if they don't, if they're a bit unsure, and that's more people, more people tend to be feel a bit overwhelmed about where to start and what to do. I try and break it down into sort of manageable bite-sized portions. And the first thing is really sitting down with them and working out what their values are and where they want to make a difference and an impact. Because um, if you do that, it's going to make their philanthropy far more rewarding um, and they're going to stick with it because it, it just, you know, it, it's something that's very personal to them and their family. Um, then as lawyers, the um, once you've sort of done the value bit and some lawyers shy away from that and feel a bit reluctant about doing that, but it is a really important step. Um, you can get onto the more kind of traditionally boring legal bits, which will do with making sure that their giving is tax efficient and that they choose the right legal entity from through which to sort of conduct their philanthropy. And that's all quite easy and comfortable for lawyers. Um, and that, that's the sort of the structuring part. And then implementation um, is making sure that we, that's when we start to really partner with other advisors. So for example, we bring in um, uh, investment advisors, you, you know, obviously for lots of philanthropists, it makes complete sense to look at ESG or impact type investing. That's um, something that I've got a good work knowledge of but I certainly wouldn't advise on it so I'd bring in um, the right partners for them to speak to about that and also um, due diligence on beneficiaries is something that I wouldn't do but we, we've got a, a number of great partners that we work with who will sort of make sure that they select the right beneficiaries to work with um, and then you know we can also give advice as we go along so governance is often a big issue for um, family foundations so we make sure that they're structured and set up in the right way so that um, there's limited um, possibility of um, conflicts of interests um, which the charity commission are, are really tight on um, and, and we're there to really hold hands whenever advice is needed as, as we go along but I suppose a lot of our work is done at the initial stage when they're looking at strategy and setting up the foundation. Okay, thank you. And, and I suppose when we then turn to other experts to bring into the, the discussion with clients, it would be quite natural to turn to an organisation such as the Charities Aid Foundation. And, and I'd like to explore with Mark what happens next then in terms of a client who has been advised to speak to you and they have the initial conversation. How do you take things to the next stage in ensuring that the client is adequately advised throughout their journey? Thanks, Darren. Yeah, it's really uh, a really enjoyable part of the process. We we find is when the the client first comes to us, very often they have been recommended by a, one of their professional advisors. Often it's a lawyer, but quite often it's a, a tax accountant, and sometimes it would be a wealth manager as well. So the conversation has already started about philanthropy, and clearly they have made a decision that they they want to at the very least explore philanthropic giving. But very often, the, the client, whilst they may be highly experienced in their area of business, they may be very successful in, in that area, they will often feel really quite uncomfortable in the world of charity and in the world of philanthropy, because they will think, you know, I don't know what good looks like there. I don't know what a well-run charity looks like. I don't know how to assess, is this charity actually achieving what it says it achieves? Is it, can it? achieve what they're saying to me that, that they'll achieve when they're asking me for a donation and so they feel out of their comfort zone and that's where we will very often uh, seek to step in so our advisors 
are focused more on the impact strategy. And so we work really carefully with the other professional advisors in the in the client's life because we are constituted as a charity and we're registered for various uh, financial crime type uh, regulations and of, of course re regulated by the, the charity commission as well but we can't give tax advice we can't give legal advice and we can't give investment advice either and clearly being out of the, the shackles of 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 that is 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 a great place to be it gives some hindrances as well of course but what that means is that we have to really work closely with the community of advisors that are around the clients so working with their lawyers when there are legal matters involved working with their tax accountants when tax planning might be coming up you right now uh, right ahead of the self-assessment uh, tax deadline on the 31st of January you know th there's a lot of conversations with those sorts of advisors and of course the investment strategy as well and so that means that we you know we work alongside all the different advisors in the client's life and our focus is usually on of what is the right sort of a structure to sit your philanthropic capital within but also what are the, uh, the what is the strategy for your giving and then when they come to be making donations out to charities in the UK or around the world, we're doing the due diligence that the trustees of a charity always have to do. And in the case of a donor advice fund, we're doing that instead of the donor having to do it and having their own trustees. So we're doing the work to stay within the HMRC and charity commission rules on foreign grant making, on uh, ensuring that the right reporting has come back from the charities, as well as, of course, the, the more impact focused work. So we're doing that compliance angle and the, the impact uh, advisory angle as well. Okay, Mark, thank you for that. Very useful. So. I think the it's clear to see that not one advisor can cover all of the angles when it comes to philanthropy. And indeed, uh, this is a multifaceted area. And uh, what what is clearly becoming very important to our clients is how they invest their money. So it's not just about giving money away, but investing money becomes very important to them as well. And I'm just about to to introduce Rebecca, who, uh, as I say, was an author of an article, as we all were for uh, philanthropy impact magazine and at the start of rebecca's article there was a deeply philosophical question where her and her stepdaughter were on holiday in crete and the question was raised well what's it all for and rebecca i'm quite interested in and in, in uh, listening to how you answered that question and indeed your thoughts on uh, how you can advise clients who wish to make an impact with their investment either through impact investing itself or through the um, lens of esg mm -hmm. It's a, it's a key question that at some point in our lives, we, we all ask ourselves, you know, what's, what's the purpose of life, <laughs> essentially? Um, and, and, and quite often, we are far too busy in our lives to really take stock and, and think. Um, there's, uh, there's an author that I really quite like uh, called uh, Chris Lewis, and he, he wrote a book called Too Fast to Think. Um, and he uh, he talks about how we have constructed this uh, a society in which we are constantly surrounded by social media. We are constantly bombarded with information. It's a go, go, go society in which we really don't stop and think. And although um, uh, Catherine, uh, Mark and myself and, and also you, Darren, 
we have very different roles. One thing that potentially can unite all of our roles is that as advisors, we can create that safe space for clients to really stop and actually think, what is it for? As Catherine said, I mean, she, she and I come from um, different points in the, in the client advice. And as she quite, uh, quite rightly pointed out, uh, lawyers are normally the first point of call um, for philanthropic services. But um, we are quite often, uh, as investment advisors, wealth managers, clients would often uh, sort of uh, speak to us about um, their wealth planning requirements. Um, and so I think uh, that we have, as advisors, an obligation to ask clients about purpose and to really create potentially a sense of purpose for their wealth that um, they can, that we, can, we can create a framework for them um, and we can give them an avenue really uh, to explore uh, aspects that Catherine has touched on, such as, uh, such as values, such as what they want to achieve, what their legacy plans are. Um, and so, so yeah, that was, uh, I think for me, the point is uh, actually in my professional career, um, having the liberty to be able to ask extremely wealthy people those questions and perhaps myself creating an impact as a result of that. And, and I suppose a natural uh, lead on from, from, from that particular question, Rebecca, is around um, how you advise clients in difficult times such as we have at the moment with high inflation and, and stressful economic times. And indeed, that was the premise in which we, we all got together to to explore that. So does high inflation and uh, cost of living crisis and the economic times that we live in have an impact on the advice that you give? It does indeed, because uh, a human tendency uh, is, uh, is, is such that we tend to, we tend to want to protect uh, our, ourselves first. And, uh, and so if we, if we felt that because I'm going to uh, invest sustainably, for example, or, be, uh, or if I'm thinking of giving uh, money to, to philanthropy, um, we might then decide uh, to cut back on that because perhaps I'm foregoing an investment opportunity if I invest sustainably, or perhaps now is not the best time to, um, to give uh, to causes that are deep, uh, close to my heart, because if I do so, What's, what's inflation going to do to my wealth? And is that going to, is it going to destroy my wealth? And so uh, our job can be really to show how through an investment strategy that invests sustainably, you can, if, you, if that is the case, you can achieve your goals whilst at the same time being true to your values. Sorry, I'm gonna fix the lights in my room. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. Very sustainable at Hawksworth and the lights go out after 30 minutes. <laughs> so um, taking, that, taking that further then, Mark, you know, um, in your article, you, you, you talk about um, transition to net zero and, and, and the impact of younger generation. And I'm quite keen to explore the, the trends that you're seeing uh, uh, in, in philanthropic giving and in impact investing in particular. And does the current economic climate have an impact on those trends in, in, in what you're saying? 
yeah, there's an enormous amount going on at the moment, both in terms of change that was happening anyway, but undoubtedly changing attitudes that, that have happened over the, the last 12 months or so, as we've seen a real change in the economic climate and the uh, and inflation in particular. In terms of the trends that we see, you know, and whilst I don't like making generalizations about particular generations or people based on their age or their gender, you know, here are some general trends with the caveat that, of course, there are always exceptions to, to these rules, but undoubtedly there are a younger generation of donors who are particularly interested in environmental causes, and th th there's, there's definitely been a, a real surge in interest in, in our clients giving to, to charities that are focused on, on environmental matters, both dealing with you know, very specific ecological issues in particular parts of the world, but then also the wider issues of climate change and, and the, the effect that human activity is, is having on the climate. Clear, there's definitely a change there. The uh, something else that we saw was in many ways the pandemic drove a resurgence in interest in local and place-based philanthropy as people became more uh, you know refamiliarized themselves with with their local communities and, and the, the places in which they live. There was undoubtedly a, a bit of a shift away from national or international giving uh, towards more local focus, not that you know everyone pulled out of, uh, of, of supporting international development, but, but undoubtedly people wanted to start finding more community-based causes within the, the neighbourhoods in, in which they live. I think the other big trend that we've seen in terms of people's attitude towards impact is that so we manage the, the money that, that has been donated into a donor advised fund and before it's granted out to a charity. And you know, were we having this conversation 10, 15 years ago, it would have been very widespread to say, well, you know, invest that money for as much impact as you can possibly get. It's charitable money, but you know, invest it for the highest returns, which means you've got more money to give away and don't think too much about what it's invested in. Both the younger generation, but, but actually this, this is pretty widespread across the age spectrum. Now, that's really just an increasingly rare perspective on, on how you should go about your, your giving. Almost all of our clients want to say, look, we want the money that we've set aside for charity to have as an absolute minimum, you know, a, a, a neutral impact on the, the environment. But ideally, we want it to be having a positive impact on on the environment as uh, as a minimum and then you know we we want so, so we want those in terms of the investment of the capital that is there as well as the impacts of of the the donations that are going out the final thought in terms of the economic environment uh, and your question there darren picking up on what you were just saying rebecca we've definitely seen some clients who make an annual contribution into their donor advised fund and because of what markets did last year feel like they have a lot less money to give away than, than, than they would have otherwise some have given cash instead of when they usually would have given shares uh, because those shares are not sitting on such highly appreciated values as, as they were and so they replaced it with cash others have have, have pulled back a bit uh, and and overall given a little bit less. So we will see what happens in the in the long run. Generally speaking, activity levels are, are good and, and are growing, but 
client by client. There are some people who undoubtedly feel like they have less money to give away than, than they did previously. Okay, thank you. And, and it's useful, Mark, that you touched on some of the motivations for, for our clients when they, when they speak to you. And, and I, I, I want to turn, turn back to Catherine and, and ask about uh, those initial conversations that, that she has with wealthy clients who, who, who want to explore what can be done philanthropically. What are the motivations that, that, that you see, Catherine? And then do you, and, and this happens quite regularly in my, in my area, we have clients who come along and say, well, I don't know what I should be doing, but I want to do something. And then can you give me some guidance on that? Is, is that sort of uh, example that I've given us is something that you see? Yeah, I think that again, there's a huge, a huge range because people are also individuals. So I, I think a common theme is wanting to give something back. I think that's that's one of the most common themes because people who tend to, to have, you know, they've done very well themselves or they've inherited a lot of money and they and they feel quite fortunate and they want to do something to give something back and make a difference. I think that's probably the most common theme. Um, I think you're right that sometimes clients come to me and say, I, I want to do something. I don't know what exactly or how much should I give? Can you give me an idea of what percentage should I give away? And that's always a really tricky question because, you know, it's, um, uh, yeah, they, I mean, what are other people doing? And I can, you know, can give them some guidance, of, but, it, but it varies so massively. And it's the short answer is, is give as much as away as you comfortably can making sure that your and your family needs are, are looked after and give yourself a bit of a buffer just in case something goes wrong um but it varies massively from clients and, and perhaps also maybe a, a, a more recent it's come up once or twice is reputation so i think sometimes people they, they, they might not be naturally philanthropic but for a variety of reasons, they think it would be a, a good thing for them and their family to be um, to be seen to sort of, you know, be, be doing something. I have to be honest, that's that's much rarer for me. More clients want to be confidential about it and they don't want their name out there. But I have had a couple of clients who, for various reasons, see it sort of as a, a form of a slight restitution. Um, so a, a whole whole variety of reasons, but I think the most common is wanting to give something back and 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 do something positive, which you know, to my mind, is the best reason. Really, it's wanting to make a, a make a positive difference. Okay. So the 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 whole drive of this um, publication from philanthropy impact is around the life cycle of of a private land, and in the last seminar, I had a hypothesis where I said that philanthropic given tends to come later on in the life cycle of a private client in that they've made a significant amount of wealth. Uh, they've uh, provided for their families. They've uh, ensured that the financial goals of their families have been met and the financial security of their family has been well looked after. And it's once all those things are in place that uh, it is more likely to have a conversation with clients around philanthropic uh, goals. However, ESG and impact investing, and particularly ESG, tends to come much earlier, in my opinion, in the life cycle of a private client. And I'm interested in exploring whether that is the uh, experience of uh, the panelists as well. And I think probably uh, I'll, I'll turn to Rebecca and say, uh, given that you're a resident investment expert, uh, whether it, it is true to say that ESG investment comes much earlier in the life cycle of a private client than pure philanthropic given or indeed impact investing. Absolutely, yes, I would, I would, I would say um, it does. Um, 
for the reasons that uh, that you've outlined already, and 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 also turning back to that question of purpose, we tend to we tend to think what was it all about when we're when we're nearing the end of our lives, as opposed to thinking about it at the beginning of our lives, which is what we really should be doing is thinking about it at the beginning of our lives, so that when we we can then fulfill that purpose <laughs> um, I, be, before it's too late. But uh, but yes, the younger um, generation. Um, I tend to, to view uh, impact investing, sustainable investing as hygiene factors. They, uh, they simply, and I think it's admirable. I'm just, I'm going to put my stake in the ground uh, whatever the English, sorry, my first language is Spanish. So, so sometimes it, I, I get a bit confused with, uh, with English, but um, so, so, so for me, um, I, I think that is, I think it's absolutely right. Uh, you know, why are we going to, uh, why would anyone invest for their financial future whilst at the same time undermining it? It makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Um, so, uh, so, so millennials, uh, Generation Z, uh, uh, would just simply not countenance investing in, uh, in in certain areas, or if a company was uh, was abusing human rights, they would be they would think, well, why on earth should I? Um, and and actually, they've got a point uh, because not only does sustainable investing provide uh, the same level of returns um, as uh, their non-sustainable or non-ethical, whatever title you want to use, counterparts, but it also does so with less risk because you can mitigate against things such as reputational risk or the risk of stranded assets. So, uh, so yes, it does come earlier in the cycle of, um, of, uh, of a private client for those younger generations. They are thinking about that when perhaps older generations aren't. And as well, um, uh, they, they don't have such a disjointed idea as older generations. Um, I, mm. I, Older generations might sometimes uh, see uh, how, or have a tendency of viewing investing in a different silo as philanthropic giving, um, and so there's there's more of a compartmentalization um, uh, in 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 that regard. Whereas uh, whereas younger generations just tend to view things as more as more uniform, um, but that is changing, I think. So just taking that uh, description of uniformity a little bit further, uh, slightly controversial question that I'm going to pose to Mark, and that is, are younger donor donors just focused on the environment or do they focus on a range of issues? Yeah, so I think they environment is, is high up the list. Human rights are really high up the list as well, though. So ways we, we have a lot of younger donors who, who are focused on anti-human anti trafficking on empowerment of women and girls in the developing world and in, in the developed world as well in LGBT and other equality causes. So I, I think environment, human rights are, are really high on, on the list for, for younger donors. And I think you know, that's, a, that's a, a byproduct of, of the, the world in which they've, they've grown up in you know both in terms of what they've been taught about the environment at, at school but also the the kind of the cultural shifts that have happened whilst many of us have been in our adult lives we're kind of just there for 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 those generations right from from when they were much much younger so 
th th those are the, the big trends we see with with younger donors. Okay. And uh, just following on from that, Mark, um, I, one of the questions that has come up and it was referenced to it in your article is the role of innovation as regards younger donors. Can you, can you explain in a little bit more detail um, whether innovation does have an impact on, on younger donors and, and is that a, a generational issue? I would say it, certainly it does. Less of a generational issue. I think though it's more of a phil philanthropy issue. And, and we would say to our clients, you know, philanthropic capital is the ultimate risk capital. You know you're not getting it back you know, for, from a financial risk point of view. So you may want it to achieve all sorts of things, but the one thing you can't ever do with it is get it back in your own pocket. You've given it away. It's, it's crossed the charitable threshold. So be experimental with it, be innovative with it and take big risks with with your with your philanthropy and will help people to track the effectiveness of of that and and to see what the the learnings are coming back and so we really encourage clients to to be innovative with that giving hi darren i think i'm back now hello john hi is it okay if i take over of course okay thank you uh, uh that was brilliant thank you very much um it's very clear from this discussion that advisors from different professions really have to work together to meet client needs. So thank you for emphasizing that. And uh, uh, in our research, we've indicated that there's 23 distinct services that are needed on, my, on our donor journey. It's also important to keep in mind the role that advisors can play around encouraging more impact in giving. Uh, uh, so impact uh, investing, sorry. Um, so that's great. Um, okay, final words of wisdom. Um, so 30 seconds, um, uh, just add your final words of wisdom and I'll start with Mark. I would say the talking about philanthropy and talking about impact just gives you a really great opportunity to, to get to know clients better, to talk about their families, to talk about what drives them, to talk about things that have happened in their lives that have uh, have motivated them to to get into to giving so really just use it as an opportunity to, to deepen those relationships with clients and to broaden out the conversation that you're having with a client okay terrific Catherine I suppose similar lines really I think you know don't be scared about talking to to clients about their values and make sure that the planning is really done up front and and I think as Mark said the the lovely thing about advising in this area is that it's provided you get it right which hopefully hopefully you do it it's a feel-good area and it tends to really cement those relationships and it's very intergenerational so you do get to know the children and if you do a good job then you'll end up hopefully advising the children as well and um yeah it's 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 a great area to advise in and I love it so I find it really intriguing how important it is to talk to uh to clients about their values and how shy some advisors are about doing so. Oh, it's, yeah, most lots of, especially lawyers, they hate it. <laughs> oh, okay, well, we run specialized training on uh, that kind of thing, so very happy to uh, talk okay. to anyone around that. Uh, Rebecca, en français. <laughs> yes, and I, I can endorse the uh, the training that uh, that you run, John. So I I, I think I think uh, from my perspective, we can as advisors, we have a choice. We can show up and we can do a good job and uh, and use our our technical, um, uh, legal investment expertise, and we can do a really good job. 
um, without investing our own our own passion into it. Or we can really view that this uh, generational change and that this point in history offers us an opportunity to do something different. Um, when slavery was uh, was abolished in the United Kingdom, Wilberforce partnered up with a poet, Hannah Moore, and uh, and and they both. Uh, tackled the issues of their day head on. We have similar issues that are ongoing with climate change, with uh, social inequality, and they're issues that we in our profession can actually bring to light and we can ask people about their purpose. And perhaps sometimes the answer will come back, well, I really don't know and we will feel a bit deflated, but just simply the power of posing a question and having it out there will make people think about these issues more. And the more voices that are asking these questions, the louder the roar, basically. So that would be my final thought. Great, Rebecca, that's fantastic. Uh, Darren, the final word to you. Very difficult to follow on from Rebecca, given the power of the words that she's just used. But what I would say, and, and it echoes many, many of the thoughts that she has expressed, our world is evolving and our client needs are evolving. And we as advisors need to evolve at the same time. And I know, John, it's a bit of a plug for your business, but we have benefited hugely from partnering up with Philanthropy Impact, not just in terms of the exposure of, of the services that we can offer, but the training that you provided to members of my team so that they can at least begin the conversations with clients. What is your wealth for and how can we help you achieve that? So I, I think we need to evolve as client advisors and we need to seek the input of those around us in the industry who know better than us how to advise clients in this particular area. Those are my words of advice. Uh, Darren, thank you very much for the plug. Just keep in mind that we did not pay you uh, for that, or Rebecca, so thank you very much for that. Uh, Zofia, final, final, final word for you. <laughs> thanks, John. Uh, thanks, guys. That was brilliant. It was really, really good. Sorry, I'm not supposed to say, guys. Um, there is a question in Q&A. Oh, well, it's not a question, it's a comment, but it's it's coming from the side of charities, which uh, a perspective from charities. It's from Jess Maybanks, who's a, a philanthropy advisor within a uh, uh, charity and she's saying that it's reflective of the living crisis the donor donations are coming down a little bit because people don't want to be showy so i mean it's it's really interesting to to talk about that and think about how as advisors you can really help donors understand that they have the wealth and they're going to be fine if they give away and all the different ways they can do it so it's a uh, Great, thank you very much. Right, on to plugging events. Um, we've got two face-to-face -face events coming up in the next two months, one uh, both in London and Fred, but both um, are looking up some great conversations. The first one is at BDB Pittman's on the 18th of January. Does wealth advice require a radical rethink? Which I think is a great follow-on from this conversation. And um, Thursday the 9th of February, we're at Brown Advisory, and we're looking at meeting changing client expectations, future proofing your firm to the values based approach across the spectrum of capital. Nice, just rolls off the tongue. Um, so, yeah, please do come and find out more about that from me. And if you would like copies of the magazine, if you haven't found them yet, please do just drop me an email. All right, thanks everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>